What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 392. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook and a free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly, Forgotten, Forgotten Founders in American History. It's a great book. You get it free of charge. You get on my email list. You'll get emails from me. It's quite awesome. You can also support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do enroll. 10 Myths of American History, and you get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. I will have a number of courses coming out this year. One is going to be a four-part course. It's going to be so awesome, you're going to want it. Uh, so get that one, too. Also, you get some emails from me there uh, from for McClanahan Academy subscribers. So you'll get a couple of different ways to communicate with me, and I promise not to be overbearing with that. When I do have sales running, I do send more emails. But regardless... Uh, get on those email lists so we can keep in contact because you never know, and the subject of this podcast is going to be what's going to happen in the future with social media. You never know where we're going to be. So oftentimes email is the may be the only way I can communicate with you. You can also support the show by clicking on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep these lights on, help keep the podcast going. Get one of my book plays if you want my autograph on one of my books. You can purchase one of my books. A great way to support the show. Get your Brian McClanahan Show logo and all kinds of cool stuff by clicking on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can do all kinds of things to get Brian McClanahan all around you, right? So if you like the show, share it around on social media. Why, we still can. Uh, rate it wherever you get your podcast. Do whatever you can to get involved in the show. And, of course, send me show ideas. I do like to hear what you want to hear about, uh, what you want me to talk about. Uh, because that does help me develop programs. So, all that said, we are in really interesting times in 2021. And I, this is a Saturday edition. I normally don't uh, podcast on Saturdays. I'm trying to get back in the groove with going back to work uh, in my full-time job, full-time. And uh, trying to have time to do this and some other things as well. So, that's why there's a little delay in the podcast this week. But we're trying to get back into the, into the saddle, get back in the groove moving forward. But... Uh, this is a big issue that needed to be addressed as quickly as I could. And, of course, it's the uh, now overbearing assault on the Trump administration through social media. And what I mean by that is they're banning Donald Trump. Now, this really is unprecedented. I'm going to talk about a couple of instances in American history you might be able to compare this to. Uh, I actually had somebody send me an email. Hey, can you tell us, or maybe it was on uh, social media, I can't remember, but can you tell us, are there, are there any instances in the 1800s, the 18th century, 1700s, that you saw this kind of thing? And I'm going to talk about human nature for a minute, but what this, this actually is deeper than just Trump, because this has been setting up for months now to do exactly what is happening with social media. 
Social media is the way that many people get their information. It's a way that a lot of people get their bypassing the news networks. They're bypassing tradition. I mean, newspapers are dead. You can go read them online, but to the actual sit down and read a newspaper, these things are dead. So the newspapers have figured out they can, they can raise revenue by simply charging you to read their articles. And a lot of people won't do that. They'll just say, forget it. I'm not going to pay to read the Washington Post when I don't like the Washington Post. I'm not going to put money in their coffers. So a lot of times people get their information through social media and people sharing links. People sharing information that way. And of course, with all this information, it does lead to a situation where you don't always know what to believe and what not to believe. You're being flooded with information all the time. And that has led, of course, to the charge of fake news. It's led to the charge of disinformation campaigns propagated by foreign powers. It's led to the charge of conspiracy theories, which are unfounded. It's led to all of these things. And typically, these charges are coming from the left. And they're coming from the left because the left understands that if they do not control the narrative, they are going to lose their grip on power. And that is the thing that they are most afraid of. Because the left has now spent the last 80 years, actually getting close now to 90 years, in power. You go back to the 1930s, you go back to 1932, when the left took control of the Congress during the Great Depression. And from that time, they have controlled the federal government. I know that Republicans have been in the White House. Republicans have controlled the Congress. But the Republican Party has been, at best, a speed bump to the left. Because the Republican Party doesn't really believe in what it says. It never has. The Republican Party has always been the party of Lincoln. It's always been the party of Sumner and Stevens. It's always been that party. So it doesn't really... It, those people were radical reformers in the 19th century. And I, I know that people would say, well, you, you, how, how can you say that? I mean, they were against slavery. Okay, yeah, we all understand slavery was bad. It had to go. But the fact is, they've also advocated other things which were considered radical reform measures of the time. Now, we could look back and then say, well, they're not radical today, but they were in the 19th century. So the Republican Party was the radical party in the middle of the 19th century. It was also the racist party, just as the Democrats were in the middle of the 19th century. I mean, you look at all these Republicans and what they said about race. They weren't uh, benign uh, moralists who were concerned about the plight of minorities in the United States, be they African Americans, Chinese, women. It didn't matter. Now, for a time, they were open to immigration at one point, and then they shut that down. So it's interesting if you go back and look at the history of these parties and the groups, they reflect the people of the time. It doesn't matter where you are, but that's what they reflect. So the Republican Party, and people are saying, oh my gosh, Trump has killed the Republican Party. Good. The Republican Party needed to die a long time ago. It's a nationalist party that's destructive to America. It was destructive in the 19th century. It's destructive in the 20th century in a lot of ways because it is a party of liars. Now, the Democrats, though, on the left, the progressives, and the Republicans, many of them are progressives too, just a different kind of progressive. The Democrats, though, have been in power since the 1930s, and they have foisted their agenda on the United States. In fact, I remember when I was an undergraduate in college, I had a very radical left professor, and I was taking a class entitled Utopian Novel, and I was the only male in the class. It was all females and then me. And um, it was catered towards a very socialist 
driven agenda. And the professor was that too. I actually got along with her. But uh, I would always raise objections to the nonsense that they were saying in there. And we had to read things like Charlotte Perkin Gilman, Perkins Gilman's Herland, which is uh, a feminist utopia. We read The Handmaid's Tale, which is the feminist dystopia, at least the progressive feminist dystopia. We also read things like 1984, uh, and we read Sir Thomas More's Utopia. We read, all, we read Looking Backward, which would Edward Bellamy and his... Uh, socialist utopia. These are the things that we read. And I remember making a comment in that class that the left really were the conservatives in America. And I'm going to make this point through historical examples. The left really are the conservatives now in America. They are trying to conserve the leftist revolution of the 1930s. Because if you think about where the leftist talking points come from, they come from 1945 and Franklin Roosevelt's uh, second Bill of Rights. If you look at that particular document, and one day I'm going to do a class on the most important speeches in American history, left or right. I'm going to talk about where these things get. The most important speeches or most important documents, maybe 25 of them. And that, this would be one of them. Because that's that Franklin Roosevelt's second Bill of Rights became the Democrat talking points from 19, the 1940s until the present. So you think about it, that's 80 years that they've had control of the narrative as to where America needs to go and what things like the general welfare means. What it means to combat poverty. What the role of the central government would be in all of these things. They have controlled the narrative. And without, with, with few exceptions, the Republicans have fallen in line. They just don't want to go so far. You look at the opposition to Franklin Roosevelt beginning in the 1940s, and then when you get to the 50s, and you had uh, even Eisenhower. Eisenhower had his dynamic conservatism. Well, what was that? Dynamic conservatism was a softer New Deal. That's all it was. We thought the New Deal went a little too far, but we still like the New Deal, so we're going to go for it. You look at what the Republicans did when they took back control of the Congress during the Obama years. They promised, we're going to repeal Obamacare. So they passed a few bills to try to do this, and of course Obama worked against that. So Trump now, they're still in power. When Trump becomes president, do they repeal Obamacare? No, they don't do anything because that's not what the Republicans are going to do. The Republicans want your vote and they're going to say things and then they're not going to do them. If you believe in those things, right? So the left is all about controlling the narrative. And this is why they want to shut down Donald Trump. And I'm going to, if you haven't seen this, the Obamas behind the scenes have been working on this now for months. Remember, the Obamas are very much invested in Silicon Valley. The Democrats really are the party of big money now. The Republicans, at least rhetorically, have become the party of the everyday worker. The steel worker, the farmer. This is, this is what the Republicans are supposed to support. We know that they also are in favor of big money. But the fact is the Democrats have gotten so involved, and the big money now is in tech. right? It's no longer in um, the uh, the traditional industries. You can still make a lot of money in oil, for example. And maybe those people would tend to support Republicans. Maybe the coal, you know, energy would tend to support Republicans because the Democrats have been so hard on the Green New Deal. One thing I will say, and I'm going to have a podcast on this and at one point, maybe this next week before the Biden administration, I'm going to make some predictions about what Biden, what this is going to bring. And one of the things I'm going to say it again, we're going to see $4 a gallon gas again. It's going to come. And... The sad part about that 
is that the people that are hurt by it, of course, would never vote Democrat. And, well, some of them would. But where the Democrats have their power now is in the cities, and those people don't need gasoline because they don't drive cars. So here we are in a situation where we have got the Democrats trying to control the narrative with information. And I'm going to talk about two things, and I'm going to list all the ways that Trump has now been silenced on social media. Again, unprecedented, but I will give you some historical information in this way and where you could see this before, the part that wants to control the narrative tries to do these things. So Michelle Obama says on January 7th, this is in an article on, on Yahoo News, former First Lady Michelle Obama called on social media companies to permanently ban Donald Trump from their platforms in the wake of Wednesday's attack on the U.S. Capitol. Now, one thing I have to say about this, again, if this was a an insurrection, as the term this the, the term went out, call it an insurrection. It was the dumbest insurrection in the history of the United States. Idiotic. There's no insurrection. The police just let them in. The videos are out there. Even the situation where the poor woman was shot and killed. The police had stepped aside and they were banging on the door. Now, what's interesting about that is Nancy Pelosi wasn't even anywhere around there. But where is the media condemnation? Where is the left's condemnation of uh, Rand Paul getting his ribs broken or being attacked with a bicycle as he's walking back from a speech? Nothing. What about Maxine Waters calling for violence, calling for people to get in the face of Republicans and lawmakers when they're out eating with their families? Was she banned? Were there calls to remove her from Congress? No, but Josh Hawley says something about contesting the election. And we got to get rid of this guy. we got to ban these people from Congress. We've got to boot them out. You see, this is the left trying to enforce. They're, fra- they're afraid. They're trying to ensure that they control the narrative and control power. They're afraid of losing it. And one thing they do realize right now, because of some the ways that politics are working out, is they do have a numerical majority right now, allegedly, And they're going to try to capitalize on that as long as they can. But there are some warning signs for this. There are some warning signs. And that is that whenever this has happened before, the people that try to do this eventually get smacked down. So the Obamas are out there saying Trump needs... This is what what Michelle Obama said. Now this is the time for the Silicon Valley companies to stop enabling this monstrous behavior. And go even further than they have already by permanently banning this man from their platforms and putting in place policies to prevent their technology from being used by the nation's leaders to fuel insurrection. Trump wasn't fueling insurrection. There's no insurrection here. He was going to have to leave January 20th. And he was going to leave January 20th. He firmly believes that the election was rigged against him. Now, I've already said on this particular podcast... And I know people got very upset with me about saying this, that the information, the, the, the evidence for that is just not showing up. Now, we know there are probably some shady things happening. That happens in all elections. I've talked about voter fraud is the American way, right? I mean, this has happened all throughout history. But it's, it's going to be nearly impossible to prove it. Nixon tried in 1960. Couldn't prove it. So when you look at what's happening here and what the Obamas are saying, and then you go to Barack Obama, November 16th, he does an interview. 
This is at this is at Vox. I'm sorry. So far left site. This is in Vo at Vox, and he says uh, the, the article says Obama was discussing a media landscape dominated not just by Facebook but by Fox News that allows Americans to choose their own distorted reality, which means he says we no longer have a shared set of facts. So think about. It. Choose their own distorted reality. Now, now, Facebook is not distorted, but Fox News is. What about MSNBC? Is that distorted reality? No, Obama would say that's not distorted reality. What about CNN? Is that distorted reality? No, no, that's not distorted reality. That's my reality. We're getting back to the sophists. Everything is relevant. It's all relevant. It all, it's all relevant to where you are and what you believe. Vox continues, that assessment is now conventional wisdom among many critics of the TV and internet ecosystem. There's almost no practical constructive argument about how we should respond to the problem. Obama doesn't offer one in his interview either. You see, what people have been duped into believing is that the media is somehow unbiased, that it's objective. And this comes out of the 1950s into the 60s when you had your three major networks, CBS, ABC, NBC, on TV. And that's all you had to get your news. And you had Walter Cronkite on there, giving you the news, just the news. It wasn't biased. Of course it was. It was all biased. Or it's from the belief that newspapers have somehow been objective. This is objective. New York Times is objective journalism. The Washington Post, uh, you know, democracy dies in darkness. This kind of nonsense that these things spout. We know if you look at newspapers and media throughout history, it's all been biased. In fact, I've done a podcast on this. I've talked about how media was not always fair, but it should be free. And the problem here is what the left wants is fair to them, but not free to the other side. Because they're in power, and they do not want any dissent from their particular positions. They don't want anybody calling them out for their hypocrisy calling them out for their nonsense, calling them out for their stupidity, calling them out for their destructive policies. They don't want anybody doing that. They want to just run the show. Vox continues, and again, it's incorrect to say that Obama is laying the problems of our broken information landscape solely at the feet of Facebook or any other particular tech company. But he is certainly lacing into them now in a way he didn't do prior to leaving the White House. Obama. Now you have a situation in which large swaths of the country generally believe the Democratic Party is a front for a pedophile ring. I was talking to a volunteer who was going door-to-door -door in Philadelphia in low-income African-American communities and was getting questions about QAnon conspiracy theories. I think it's the single biggest threat to our democracy. The single biggest threat to our democracy is information. <laughs> think about what, what Obama just said there. Information, people being able to get information is a threat to democracy. Well, the founding generation would have said democracy only works when people have access to information, when they can actually read what's going on. No, no. That's not what Obama says. He says, I don't hold the tech companies entirely responsible because this, is, this predates social media. It was already there, but social media has turbocharged it. I know most of these folks. I've talked to them about it. The degree to which these companies are insisting that they are more like a phone company than they are like the Atlantic, I do think is tenable. They're making editorial choices, whether they've buried them in algorithms or not. The First Amendment doesn't require private companies to provide a platform for any view that is out there. Well, he's right about that. But these are public-private companies. And so because they're public-private companies, that becomes something else. So what Obama is saying, you've got to censor stuff that, that we don't agree with. 
So on the other hand, then what you could say about this, if Facebook and Twitter and all these are going to censor people, then you have to create your own. But then you've got the tech companies that control who runs the infrastructure of the internet, like Google. And I'm going to get into that in a minute. And what they're doing to try to ensure that no information exists that's counter to the narrative. You see, this is the, there's, no, there's no second internet. There's no other internet structure that you can go to. At the end of the day, we're going to have to find a combination of government regulations and corporate practices that address this because it's going to get worse. If you can per uh, perpetrate crazy lies and conspiracy theories just with text, imagine what you can do when you can make it look like you or me are saying anything on video. We're pretty close to that now. And, of course, he's talking about deep fakes, which are very dangerous. Okay, That is very, very dangerous stuff. So let's talk about all the platforms that have banned or restricted Trump. And it's not just Trump. It's they're going after other companies that might present a threat to the narrative. So Reddit. Reddit has now banned Trump, a group that would uh, 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 post information about Trump. Twitch, Shopify, you can't even sell Donald Trump merchandise. His organization, his campaign merch, you can't, he can't even sell his own merchandise now. No Trump 2024, Trump 2020, can't get any of that stuff. It's all gone. Twitter, of course, has banned him. Permanently banned Trump's account effective immediately. All because of the threat of violence, which is... I mean, again, did he did he advocate violence? Did that actually come out of his mouth? Google, this is the big one. Google now. You can say, well, all right, all these things, but you can have alternative sites. He could go somewhere else. No, no. Google has made it to where Parler is banned. It's banned from their app store. You can't even get it. That was the that was the alternative to Facebook. And of course, Apple's doing the exact same thing. So the tech companies now are saying that these alternative sites that you could have Trump material. Nope, you can't even have that here. So see, this is where I'm sure um, Republican lawmakers are kicking themselves for not regulating these things even more. I mean, look, these are public... Pro Google shouldn't be able to do this at all. The only way to do it is for the... I mean, if you want to say the government already controls the internet, take it over and say you can't do this kind of stuff if you believe that government has the power to do that. But because of Google, because of their app program, because of what they have, I mean, Google is you know so important and... and Distributing apps, you can't have parlors. Then Apple looking at the same thing. YouTube, of course, is taking stuff down. Facebook has banned Trump for a couple of weeks. So is Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, Discord, Pinterest. All these sites are taking down Donald Trump. The, the current president of the United States. Unprecedented for the president not to be able to have an avenue to get information out there. Unprecedented. Now, I'm going to give you some historical examples quickly because, I mean, we're... we're button up against time here. I don't want to go on on this for forever. But there are certain instances in American history where you've seen this before. And again, it was always about controlling the narrative so that people couldn't have information that would be counter to the narrative, to the established narrative. And the most important example is in 1798 when the Federalists passed the Sedition Act, which was unconstitutional. Jefferson and Madison called them out on it in the Virginia and Kentucky Resolutions. But the entire point of that particular law was to limit the press from dissent. They didn't want the press to publish things that were negative about the Congress or the president. That was unconstitutional then. 
Of course, this is the government saying you can do it. These are private companies now doing this. This is where Obama's, we, like, they're working their way. Well, he's saying it out there. He threw it out there. Well, private companies can do these things, you know. It's not uh, against the First Amendment to do it. He's setting the stage for exactly what's happening now. In November, he was doing it. And, of course, this was going on before that. But he was setting the stage for this because he's in their ear. Obama you know, is now a big investor in Netflix. He's in their ear. And he's saying, you all can do this. You can ban Trump. You can ban Trump supporters. What's going to happen when they say, you know, you internet service providers, you can ban websites that uh, you don't that you think are have information that you don't like. You can ban all that stuff. And it's happened. So where do we go from here? I mean, these are things that you know, Obama has set the information, and Trump now has been banned. So 1798, you have the Federalists who are in power. They're, they're trying to hold on to their power. They're seeing their power slip a little bit. So they pass the Sedition Act. You have Republican newspaper editors thrown in jail. Jefferson, though, wins the 1800 election. Not, I mean, it was close, right? I and mean, this is the election decided by the House of Representatives. After over 30 votes, Jefferson wins. And, of course, all this stuff goes away for the next 24 years. But, of course, the idea that you're going to try to control. Now, there was time before that. Now, this is an unknown part. In the seven, 1787 and 1788, the proponents of the Constitution, those who were in favor of it, worked very hard to ensure that the opponents would not have a voice in prohibiting the passage of the document. So they throttled down where they could, um, how much they could speak in some of these conventions, particularly in Philadelphia. They prohibited uh, some of the opposition from being able to print their, oppo- their opposition to the document. That took place in Connecticut. So there were, and there were riots. There were, there were pro-Constitution folks who were out there rioting against anti-Constitution folks. This was violent. America has, lot, has long had political violence. In fact, you could say the entire United States is born in political violence. But the fact is, you had, at that point, throttling down the opposition because they wanted to ensure the narrative got there. This is going to be a great document. We don't want any opposition to this. It, we need it. So you got to make sure the other side doesn't have a voice. You get to, and then, and then people have asked, you know, in the 19th century, well, from 1850, really, until 1877, for 27 years, you had a mess of political rhetoric. You had Northerners calling Southerners essentially vomit, devils. Well, where do you go from there if, you, if your opponents are going to be described in such ways? And we're seeing that now on both sides, both sides calling each other just awful things. That's because, and I'll get into this in the next episode about nationalism, it's because, and I already did a podcast on why are Americans so angry. I'm going to kind of rehash some of that, but uh, talk about it. It's because we have a nationalist system, in, in, in a, a shadow nationalist system, whereas we really are supposed to have a federal system. A federal system would allow for this for dissent on a regular basis, but we can't when everything is focused on the center. It's impossible. So this is the important thing to understand. 1850s, and then, of course, you have... Uh, now, now, the left would point to things like the gag order, which was in Congress. You couldn't have any... All slavery petitions were tabled, and there wasn't going to be any debate on those. Northerners and Southerners supported that. You had Southern states prohibiting the publication of any abolitionist literature in the South. So, I mean, certainly, uh, there were things happening from, from the, those who were maintaining power. Again, it's about power to try to keep the other side from from having an inroad. It's all about power. It's all about power. And then you get to the Reconstruction period and you get censorship and disfranchisement. You get all kinds of things happening in Reconstruction. And even looking into World War I, we look at the left 
and how they were censored by uh, the, the far left, even the progressives, the moderate left, were censoring the far left during World War I. So censorship is a natural inclination of people when they're in power and they don't want to hear the other side. They don't want it. They don't want to hear it. They don't want anything to do with it. They want to make sure those people can't talk because that's a threat to their power. But that's not, the, that's not what people believe, at least, the idea of reciprocal liberty. And this is something that you know P- Americans generally have this, this notion of reciprocal liberty in the United States. Well, I agree to you to speak if you let me speak. But when you get down to, to brass tacks, nuts and bolts, they don't want to do it. They don't want to do that. They want to, ha- they want to speak freely, but the other side can't because they don't want that other side to persuade people that their side is better, their side is right. So humans are naturally inclined to try to prevent people from doing anything that's going to challenge them. This is why reciprocal liberty is a hard thing. Why you look at what the Democrats are pushing right now, it's liberty of the community over individual liberty. And they're saying the community is being threatened. Freedom from fear, freedom from want. Those things. This is the, this is the liberty that the left advocates. It's a puritanical liberty. That's why I've called you know, people like Cortez, Ocasio-Cortez, and the Squad, and uh, the Obamas. They're all political Puritans. They're Yankees, in other words. They're political Puritans. But they want to ensure that their notion of security and for their ideas, their ideas are safe. The secular religion that we have of government is safe. You, you, people storming the Capitol, they threatened the cathedral of government, the Capitol, the U.S. Capitol. This stuff went on all over the summer. Federal buildings attacked in Portland. Can you imagine if somebody had been killed in doing that? the way that that woman was killed in the Capitol, what the left's outrage on that would have been? Or all the property destruction across the United States all throughout the summer, cities burned to the ground? Swaths of cities burned to the ground? Oh, no, this is, we, this is, this is good. We need to talk about this. But a few windows are smashed at the U.S. Capitol, and this is insurrection? I mean, the hypocrisy is all over the place. It's not to support either one. Both are bad. You shouldn't do either one of these things. But the left is going to capitalize on this because they see it as an avenue to control now opposition. They can knock these people down, and they don't care. They don't care about liberty, reciprocal liberty. They don't care about any of that because they're in power. Just as Calhoun pointed out in his disquisition, those in power won't care about the Constitution. Those out of power will because they'll use it to their advantage. And we saw this with the left. They've used the Constitution supposedly to their advantage the entire time Trump has been in the White House to try to say, and they've impeached him. They're going to impeach him again. I I know that's going to happen on Monday. There's going to be another set of impeachment uh, uh, articles voted on the House. He won't get convicted in the Senate, but again, it's another avenue for them to get their way. So, are we in unprecedented times in terms of censoring the sitting president of the United States? Yes. In terms of trying to silence dissent? No. This happens all throughout American history, and the and the thing to understand about that is it almost always comes back to bite those who are trying to do it. It comes back to hurt them in the end because people start to see it. Rational people, people are saying, wait a second here, you know, I don't think we should censor this guy. And that, that's going a little bit too far. But at this point, uh, because of the heightened, you know, the, the passion and the emotions and everything else, we're going to see it for a time. We'll see where it goes from here. But anyways, that's my answer to the question uh, that people have presented. Hope you enjoyed this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. I will see you next time for the next one. See you then. Oh, by the way, hope you enjoyed the new music at the beginning, too, if you've caught that new intro music. It's pretty fun. But anyways, I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.